0: Hi, I'm Kara Swisher, Executive Editor of Recode. Thanks for listening to Recode Replay. Here's one of the interviews from the stage of the 2016 Code Conference. If you like it, please leave us a review at iTunes.com slash Recode Replay. Tonight we're going to start with a topic, one of the great things about Silicon Valley now, there's actually real topics, I mean, which is great, and we think cars is important. Cars is a big deal.
1: Everyone has cars. Everyone Everyone's has cars, car. and we'll
0: see what kind of cars. So last year we had Mary Barra from GM. This year we have
1: Mark Fields from Ford. Come on out, Mark. Thank
0: you. This oh, what's that music? It's nice. How you doing?
2: You know, it's a little bit like deja vu. Why is that? uh, Because back in 2007, I went to CES for the first time. We were Mm -hmm. the first auto company to go there. And then afterwards, we did a a little bit of a pitch there uh, on stage, and then after, we did some interviews. And Mm -hmm. we were interviewing with magazines and media we hadn't interviewed before. Yeah. So the first question was, so you're in the car business, right? Yeah. And the second question was, why are you here? Mm So, I'm so really why are t- you here? No,
0: um, no, um, <laughs> the t- it does tee up the first question. Are, are we at peak car, meaning the end of the beginning of the end, or the end of the beginning? Of-
2: well, there's still a lot of growth around the world. If you think about the uh, global middle class, the, by various studies, the global middle class around the world is going to double in the next 15 years. A lot of it in Asia. And the first thing you want to do when you get into the middle class is buy a car because that connotes that you've kind of made it in certain portions of the world. So when you step back and you look at the car industry, uh, it's still a growth business. And so we're a growth company in a growth business,
1: both in our traditional business, but also the mobility business. So you want to sell more cars outside the U.S. And then the thing that I think a lot of folks are here are thinking about is, in the U.S., in countries like the U.S., where you have the idea of autonomous cars, where Uber and Lyft and ride-sharing maybe make car ownership less important, are you going to see car car sales decline over time in the U.S.?
2: Well, it's a great question. I think I think it's too early to tell because you could argue that if you look in major urban areas, uh, that the car density is going to go down, right? Because it's just, it's, it's physics, right? There's only so much space in cities. More people are coming to cities. If you look at here in the US but around the world, various studies say you know, two-thirds of the world's population is gonna be in urban areas in the next 15 years. So there clearly will be, there could be less vehicles, not only because there's just not more places to put vehicles, but also you have you know, cities that may outlaw the private use of vehicles in downtown right. areas. Oslo uh, just put on the books in 2019, that downtown, there's gonna be no private use of vehicles. So you could argue there'll be less density of vehicles, but if we think about, the way we're thinking about this as a company, our business model was always around how many units we sold, right? We sell the thing and then we see them a couple of times a year in our dealership. We're really thinking it around vehicle miles traveled. So if you think fast forward in an environment, in an urban area where there'll be autonomous vehicles, first off, When something becomes more available to people and at a lower cost, guess what? They use it more. So you'll have vehicles that are on the road 24-7 that will rack up miles much quicker than private use vehicles.
1: That could actually be an assist to the car industry. So I don't buy a car, but I'm in a car more often. That car gets used more. That car needs to be replaced more. That's how you continue to sell more cars. Correct.
2: Correct. And also, you know, from a a business standpoint, there's more service that needs to be done on the car because uptime is really important. When you talk to people that run fleets and things of that nature, uptime of their vehicles are absolutely crucial. So if you're running an autonomous vehicle service, you want to make sure that, you know, when your customer wants a car, it shows up.
0: So, it, so via, M- Miles, but private car sales to individuals, you don't think we're at a peak moment that that will stop, because you know, you have, first you have the millennial issue. It's the same thing with watching television. It's the same thing with all kinds of industries. You don't think that there's going to just be less ownership of cars, or, you know, I like to think about it, in fifth, 20 years, owning a car is going to be like having a horse. It's like a luxury for some people, and it's fun, and by the way, the Teslas out here are beautiful, but not a must do.
2: Well, you have to. You have to kind of look at it from when you look at it from an urban standpoint. Mm-hmm. You know, it could be true, as I said, that there'll be less car density in urban mm-hmm. areas. But talk to you know the farmer in Kansas, mm-hmm. or talk talk to the mom in Davenport, Iowa, or talk to you know outside of urban areas. Cars are really important. It's our, it, that that is the way to get mobility. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as we look at some of these trends you know, around the growth of the global middle class, the growth of these megacities, the issue of air pollution around the world, we're saying to ourselves, we want to be part of that solution. So even in an environment where there could be less cars, we're thinking our business as our core business of designing and developing and manufacturing great cars, utilities, and trucks. And we're going to love that business and invest in it and put out the best cars we and trucks and utilities we can. But at the same time, There's these emerging areas of mobility services. And as a company, we're really thinking about, to your point, how do you think out as a company, 10, 15 years, what's your view of the world? And then you really have to say, well, where do we want to play and how do we want to play in that world? And rewind back to today and make sure you're making the decisions put in place as the plans to be successful in that time period.
0: Well, how hard is it as a car company to do that? I mean, you've inherited something that's an older industry. And again, it's very akin to media. It's you could like you could iterate it through lots of other when you took over Ford, you didn't take the buyout. You didn't do the buyout. What did you inherit when you were getting this company? What how did you, how do you look upon the company you inherited?
2: Well, we we've been around for 113 years, so we have
0: Which is uh, not necessarily a good thing in this crowd.
2: Well, you know, I think some of you in this crowd want to be around for at least a you know that's a different couple of months. Story. But. That's
0: about vain billionaires. But anyway, <laughs> that's another issue too.
2: Well what we inherited, first off, we inherited a company with a heritage. And to me, heritage is history with a future. And we have been a company that our 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 founder, Henry Ford, was the original one of the original business innovators, right? He took a business back way back when, which was around personal, you know, vehicles that were done by coach builders. And turned it into a a mass producer where we could make people's lives better and allow them to travel, you know, three miles outside of where their place of birth in the first time in life.
0: Right. I get that. But that was then.
2: He's dead. That was then. Now. (laughs) He dead. So fast forward. (laughs) Yeah. You know, we're a business that we are transitioning ourselves. We're going through one of the most important inflection points strategic inflection points in our in our history right where we're going from an auto company to an auto and a mobility company okay and you know for fraud- getting
0: rid of auto part just mobility did you call yourself just a mobility company or? no
2: we call ourselves an auto You're still in the business of selling cars right we, that's your primary business it's going to be for a long time we sell almost seven million vehicles a year right to people around the world and that's a really important uh... Uh, service that we provide mm-hmm. to our customers, to cities, et cetera?
0: Yeah. No, I get it. I just, I, just so you know, I just bought a Ford. All right. <laughs> we know. Well, I almost didn't buy a car. I thought about not owning a car. Like, what do I really need it for? And I could rent it, and there's all these other... It really was a moment, and I bought it mostly... I don't know why I bought it. Um, but, it was a Ford. No, that wasn't why. No, but it was. I bought a Ford, but I got a call from him saying, hi, I'm your customer service representative, Mark Fields, after I bought it. But, I did call great. it. Um, but I did, I, there was a moment of like, why should I own a car? Like, and you know, now I'm 100 years old, but it still was a, an, if I was a millennial, I absolutely it would be a whole different, I wouldn't buy a car. And so it was a really interesting moment. And I bought it because it was much smaller and much tinier. And I, at some point, I'm going to have like the tiniest vehicle ever. So that's really, I mean, when you took over from Ford, you, it was in an industry that's already having tr- had, had had troubles um, and is, is in all kinds of different economic trade wins all the time. That's a nice way, you know, headwinds really. What did you think? Like when you took over, what did you think? Like, what am I going to, uh-oh, I'm at the inflection point of all time? Or what was the, how did you think about changing the company?
2: Well, first off, the way we thought about changing the company is first stepping back and again, getting the management team together and, and getting our point of view of what the world may look like in 10, 15 years. And that's really hard. Right? When you have a management team that's been you know, working a lot of their, their careers in Ford you know, producing vehicles and being able to say, look at the societal trends and say, what does that mean for our business? Because you know, in a business, we're usually looking at a business plan, right? We have a five-year business plan, and yeah, we look the five years, but then it's really the next three, and we're really focusing on the next year where we have to set our budget. So asking the team to do that is really challenging, but at the same time, it's also very energizing, because you get a, a, a an aligned point of view of what that world looks like, and then when you go off and put strategies together
1: to say how are we going to succeed in that, you get everybody rowing in the same direction. So it's one thing to look at and say technology is important; we should we should really work on that. And mobility is important, and AI is important. It's another thing to be in a world where you're competing against Google. Um, which has been putting a ton of money towards this stuff. Uber went out and bought basically Carnegie Mellon and imported them over there. Um, How does a company like Ford, based in Detroit, with all that heritage, compete culturally and and financially with with the biggest and brightest? Yeah, you have these executives
0: who are good at making cars, but not necessarily good at making mobility.
2: Oh, okay. Well, with mobility, you do need a vehicle. You actually need to go someplace. Yes, we got that part. And, you know, first off, the way we approach it is the designing and developing and manufacturing a car is a very intense and uh, a difficult endeavor. Mm-hmm. I mean, people sometimes just say, yeah, oh, it's not that, not yeah, that you, hard. Uber,
0: I had an Uber person tell me well, that. Listen,
2: at the end of the day, you have a vehicle with 4,000 parts coming together. It has to work. It has to be durable. It has to meet regulatory requirements. And oh, by the way, when you look at the software content of our vehicles, our new F-150 has over 150 million lines of
1: code in it. You know, that it's it's more than double or triple a, a Boeing. But uh, you're watching 7. software companies, and you're watching people. Like Elon Musk say we can just jump right into this, and we can put our brain power and our money together, and we can go and compete and beat you guys. How do you keep up with them? Well, first off, you make sure that you focus on that core
2: business, that those vehicles are designed right and they run well. But also at the same time, we make sure that we're looking at the future and saying to ourselves, what skills do we need to, be su- to continue to be successful going forward? So we have in our, in our business a lot of great software skill on embedded software. Uh, we just went out and said, you know what? Uh, we also need to develop our cloud-based skills, right, to develop apps because as we are traditionally a product company, more and more also will be providing services to customers as well, not only because it's a good business decision because you can get more recurring revenues, but you have better ways to satisfy consumers like ones who don't want to own a vehicle. And as we've done that, we've done things like we took a, um, an equity position in Pivotal Labs right. a couple of weeks ago. And the reason we did that is not because we just wanted to make some noise, look at us, we're doing something in the software business.
0: that never happens.
2: That never happens in our business. Uh, not at all. <laughs> uh, but we did it because, listen, we said to ourselves, we really need to up our game in learning around delivering these, you know, advanced software methodologies. And we'll be able to do it a lot faster if we own a piece of Pivotal. They've been great partners for us. That's how you do it. You look We ask ourselves three questions as we look at not only our core business, but these emerging opportunities, we're asking ourselves three really important questions. Where do we want to play, right? Because you can boil the ocean. If you want to be in AVs, what part do you want to be in? You want to be in the commercial side, you want to be in the the, uh, passenger car side, all those kind of things. You can boil the ocean, so you have to be really clear on where do you want to play. Then we have to be really honest with ourselves that says, um, how do we win? Right, What's, what, what unmet need are we, are we, are we being able to uh, satisfy? Is there a business model in there for us to make money at the same time? And then the third question, to your point, Peter, is what are the capabilities that we need? And in some cases, we'll have that capability in-house. In other cases, we'll say we don't have it, but we want it to be core to us, so we have to grow that, either through acquiring talent or acquiring companies. And in some cases, we'll just say, you know what? There's other companies out there that do this really terrifically, and we're going to partner with them. So
0: let's talk about that. Tell us what didn't happen with Google.
2: What didn't happen with Google? Yes,
0: you were talking to them. What,
2: what are you referring to?
0: I'm, you were in talks with them, correct?
2: <laughs> we talk with everybody.
0: No, 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 don't give me that. No, no, we talk,
2: no. We talk with no. everybody.
0: No, no. I tell,
2: tell me, you we know, will throw Uber in there at the same yeah, time. What? We'd get Uber. Uber. So we yeah, Uber. Well. we talk. We talk with everybody.
0: Yes, yes, but you talk with some people more than others. We, no, I talk with everybody. You, don't you talk
2: with everybody. With everybody. Um, so tell me, what, what 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 was the what was the discussion? I mean. I'm
0: sure they scared the life out of you because they're robots. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, what 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 did you want from a company that, like, say, a big search company that owns all the information on Earth, for example? Uh, <laughs>
2: What would you I think when, well, what we want from anybody that okay. we partner with is a couple of things. One is we want to make sure that there is an equal amount of benefit that each company can bring to the party. I've, I've been through situations where we've partnered with companies where that ba- balance has not been there. And the dynamics get very funky very quickly if somebody thinks they're getting screwed versus the, the other partner. I think the second thing is we look for, so that, that's the first one, mutual benefit. The second thing we look for, and I know it sounds trite, but it is so important, is cultural fit. You know, because you're gonna be working mm-hmm. with these folks and you wanna make sure that there's a cultural fit there that beyond what the spreadsheet says, that says, gosh, this creates value for the company and helps build your brand, you gotta make sure that there's a cultural fit as the folks work together.
0: Do you need to make a partnership with, I mean, Uber, what happened with Uber?
1: We're talking with everyone. <laughs> OK, uh, I got that. Can you go it alone? Can you, can you move into this world where you need to have really, really big brains working on a lot of this stuff on your own? Can you do it by yourself? Or do you eventually have to partner with a Silicon Valley? I think Valley it's, it number? depends on, on which area we're going after. Like
2: we've said in what we call Ford Smart Mobility, which is, which is really our way of, of, of making transportation and mobility more accessible, more available, more affordable to folks. Um, We're, in some cases, we will go it alone. In some cases, I'll give you an example. We are uh, piloting right now what we call dynamic shuttle. It's a ride-heading service for our transit vehicles in urban areas. We're learning a lot about that. And other things that we may pursue in mobility, we may say, you know what? We
1: don't have that expertise or somebody has a first mover advantage. We ought to deal with them. So GM bought a tiny startup, just basically hatched, handful of people, no revenue, billion dollars. Um, again for a lot of people in this in this room, it's Cruz. The, um, yep. you know, Facebook does this all the time, no one bats an eye. C- culturally, can you be in the business of acquiring small companies for enormous amounts of money and saying, well, this is R and D project, we're taking a flyer on it? Well, I think culturally, as we've said, we we have everything on the table of working working with everyone. In
2: some in some cases we will do MA. I think the thing that's really interesting is we opened up a Silicon Valley Research and Innovation Center about a year ago. Mm-hmm. And the reason we did that is because we wanted to be viewed as part of the community and not some transactional partner that comes in and says, "I'll take one of those or one of this," and flies back back to, to, to Dearborn or to Detroit. And we've learned a lot from that. And one of the things that we learned is, you know, the the the, the startup mentality, the startup mentality to say, you know what, we have to uh, in, in the in our core business, we have to make sure when we launch a product. It is perfect and ready to go for the reasons I mentioned earlier. So now, in the, but in the cases of working with others, we've said, you know what, sometimes we'll start small, we'll test, we may you know, buy a company, we may partner with a company, but that whole ethos of making sure that you cannot have all the answers up front, and maybe in some of these emerging mobility services, be able to iterate and put out a minimally viable product and then learn. Well, That's then, really more specifically, learning, so
0: if you didn't do a deal with Google or Uber, didn't buy Cruise, obviously Apple invested in, um, in li- what did they invest in that one? Apples. Didi. Didi in China. Who's going to be here? Gene Lu. Um, you didn't do these things. What do you imagine you, your capabilities need to do? A part, what part of the capabilities do you need to do that kind of massive deal? And if you need it at all.
2: Well, I think those are the things that we're thinking through right now. And, you know, there's lots of... Well, it's only of,
0: because the chairs are starting to fill well, up. Well,
2: but, but I, I think you have to keep in mind, there's lots of activity on this right now. Right. And we want to make sure as we think through our strategy, it's a very deliberate strategy where we can articulate it and then say, as we take certain actions, here's how it fits into our plan. And when we think about our business going forward and how we're thinking about this, there's a, there's a huge business opportunity out there in transportation services. It's like double or triple the revenue of our core business. And as we think about this, we want to make sure that as we make these decisions and as we decide to partner, and there will be news coming out over, over the next number of months and years around this, it, it has to be in the context of what we want to achieve as a company. And importantly, as we talk with a lot of different partners, again, that issue of making sure there's a cultural fit, and you are really trying to solve something, because if we get caught up in the moment, you know, somebody's taking equity position here, in this right server, so that. It's really important for us, if we get so lockstep with the competition, you leave the customer behind. So we want to keep up with the customer not necessarily just keep up with the competition.
0: Why spin off the mobility division if it's at the heart of your company, though? You, you spun it off, and then you're looking for a tech CEO, correct? Right. Well we, you found one?
2: We created, we have, uh, we have a head of what we call Fort Smart Mobility, which is an LLC that we created, mm-hmm. and their remit is to either design, build, invest in mobility solutions or mobility related ventures. And we actually had one of our board members, Jim Hackett, mm-hmm. who used to run Steelcase. Yes, nice he, chairs. He's the chairman of I mean, it. I don't know Thank if this you. is a Steelcase. Yes, it fair. is. They're all Steelcase. I'll have to tell Jim when I get back. Yeah, they're all Steelcase. But, you know, Jim really helped. Uh, he takes a very uh, a focused design thinking approach to the world. He helped the way people work, right, mm-hmm. in, their de- in their design of their offices. And But the reason we set it up as a separate, we had a lot of discussion around this because when we have our core business, if we put it under our core business, this new stuff, there's the danger that that stuff gets snuffed out, right? Because it's new, it's, if the organization doesn't understand the context for it, guess what happens? Hey, well, they're probably gonna wanna take some of my budget, I'm not really gonna support them. So what we did is we spent a lot of time internally in the organization educating people on how we're, the context of our business. Our core business, and then we have these emerging mobility services which we call Ford Smart Mobility. So people understand, yeah, I get it. This is not a threat to the core business. This actually can be additive to our business and, oh, by the way, helping to respond to some of these societal issues. And within that, we've said, let's create a a separate subsidiary. We call it separate connected, but connected. Because to deliver a number of these mobility services is gonna require working with the core. So, but at the same time, we don't want them encumbered by some of the processes and
1: some of the organizational structure that we have, because they're going to be facing off with mobility companies and tech companies. One last question, then we'll go to the audience. Um, We've been talking about your processes, and we're talking about technology and what can happen over here. What do you need from regulators, federal federal regulators from the (laughs) states, to allow this future of autonomous cars to happen, or or is there sort of a clear path? Well, first off, it's a really important question, and that's why uh, we were the founding member of what we call
2: the Self-Driving Coalition for Safer Streets. And it's ourselves. it's uh, a long, uh, it's, it's, long, it's, it's, long it just, acronym. It kind of rolls off yeah. off your tongue, like multimodal urban mobility solutions, right. which we're also pursuing.
0: That's the name of your new company?
2: Uh, but <laughs> but uh, what we're doing, the, the, the purpose of that group, and it includes Uber and Google and, and, and Volvo, is to promote policies that will actually support the deployment of autonomous vehicles. So what we're looking for from regulators is, first off, one national standard, right? Because if we have to go out and we have one set of rules for Connecticut and another set of rules for California, you know, 50 different ones, first off, we wouldn't be able to handle it, and it would confuse the heck out of of customers. So we're looking for a one national standard. But the other thing we're looking for is a a very forward-leaning approach on this. And I am really pleased with the way the regulators here in the U.S. are viewing this. And I was thinking to myself, saying, gosh, regulators, you know, forward thinking and and wanting to act fast? And the reason I think they are is because they're viewing the societal benefits of autonomous vehicles. You know, reduction in congestion, accidents, uh, being able to save fuel, and and make us more energy Because it might be to your
1: benefit if they acted like regulators and slowed everything down and made it harder for this stuff to to move forward, right? You you keep doing what you're doing. You want to make sure,
2: as usual, technology will always outpace some of the legal and regulatory frameworks. But I'm really pleased to see how the regulators are viewing this. And that's why us as a company, as we think about our customers going forward, we very much want to partner with cities. And it's not just about, do we offer a, a, a service within a city boundary? We really want to partner with cities because they have a lot of mobility issues. You talk to the mayors here in the U.S. or in India or even in China. The issue is not only around the the quality of life for for their citizens, but it's really around economic development. They're looking for answers and help, and that's why by partnering with them, we think we can offer them these great products and services and technologies that we're developing to help them alleviate some of their mobility issues, and provide us a good business return at the same time.
0: Okay, before we get to our we're interviewing Elon Musk tomorrow night. What do you think of what he's done?
2: Well, I think Elon has done a, a, a very good job at just raising the, the awareness and the importance of electrified vehicles. And I think it's helped support, you know, we're the number one seller of plug-in hybrids here in, in the U.S. And I think raising that has been, has been very good. Listen, we can learn something from everybody. We're a company that doesn't look at you know, competitor A or competitor B, whether they're big or small or new or old. Our approach is what can we learn? And I think they've done some very good things in terms of that we've learned from some in terms of how to use technology to inter, interact with their customers and, and be able to make them more satisfied. We've learned a number of things. So, you know, he's I,
0: become a real personality-driven thing. He's got fans. Is that how cars have... People don't go, ah, oh, Mark Field, sorry. You know, they don't have a man crush on <laughs> Mark Field. No.
2: Um,
0: but is that important going forward? Or did you? Well,
2: I think I can only bring it back to Ford. And what's uh, important to us as a company is our brand. And our brand has always been known around attainability, around ingenuity and innovation, and around kind of people serving people. It's a, it's, it's, It's... It's a brand with a a family behind it, a a brand that has always kind of reached out to the community. The brand is the most important thing, and I think that's one thing that has driven our success over these many, many years and recently since, you know, we didn't take the government money and we did this on our own, and uh, those are the things that we focus on.
0: Okay, questions from the audience? Go ahead, just go up right there. Since you guys are gonna be selling so many cars in addition to your mobility services, how do you plan to address the uh, sustainability issues that are fundamentally related to the use of cars?
2: Well, it's a great question, you know, as for, for many, many years in the industry, and also us, we kind of looked at you know, questions like that. And we said, you know, kind of talk to the hand right? We're kind of against all that stuff. As a company, we are very forward-leaning now in terms of sustainability, and it goes beyond just our products. I mean, the bottom line is we want to make sure that our products are as easy on the planet as possible. And also, at the same time, it's how you produce those products. Our plants, for example, meet a lot of the top ISO, uh, ISO requirements. We We have water reduction requirements, which we've had, which we've we set out goals five six years ago, which we've been able to achieve early on. So we really want to make sure that our brand is a responsible brand. We we've talked about global warming. We believe it's an issue. We want to be part of the solution, and that's why we have invested so much in electrification. You know, we're very proud that uh, we're the number one seller of plug-in hybrids of the U.S. We've we've said we're making an investment. Uh, over the next uh, four years of $4.5 billion to to actually have 40% of our nameplates around the world electrified, but also at the same time for our internal combustion engines. We want to make sure that we are either the best or among the best in terms of fuel economy going forward. So be easy on the planet as possible, be good stewards, and also at the same time run a good business.
3: Um, Hey, it's Neil I from The Verge. Good to see you. Um, How you doing? So you talked a lot about services, but I want to ask about your products. um, Thank you. Let's talk about the product. Oh, you're not going to like it, though. Um, (laughs) So I just bought a Jeep instead of an Explorer. Oh. I know, I'm super disappointed, too. Um, Their software sucks. Uh, But the reason (laughs) I didn't buy an Explorer is because it doesn't have Sync 3 yet. Uh, And the next ones are going to have Sync 3. Right. But if you really are shipping, rolling computers... People think of computers as inherently upgradable, inherently changeable, as software is mutable. Are you really expecting 2016 Explorer owners to go trade in to get a software feature that runs on effectively the same hardware as the 2017? Why? Why is your software in the car so behind these big competitors that are uh, obviously on your heels? You know, Tesla ships software updates every day to their cars. When is, again, when is your rate of innovation on the software on the car and the user experience of the car going to be as accelerated as those guys?
2: Well, when you look at uh, SYNC 3, you're right. We, are, we launched SYNC 3 uh, earlier this year, and it's rolling out across all of our vehicle lineups, all our model year 17. Um, and, you know, we had a debate on the ability to actually go back and reflash the software to update it. And what that would have required for consumers is to uh, upgrade some of their hardware in the vehicle. So as we go forward, we're making sure we're looking at the hardware requirements and make sure that as we have versions going forward, that we'll be, do- be able to do exactly what Wait, you mentioned.
3: You sell crate engines for Mustangs. You sell replacement wheels. You sell new bumpers. You sell all kinds of parts. Sell- literally, every mechanical part of the car you can swap out. Why aren't you going to let people swap out the computers?
2: Well, first off, you can't swap out all the parts that you mentioned. But in this case, we, we've said going forward, we're going to make sure that our vehicle is upgradable for
1: consumers as we upgrade our softwares. How, how terrified are you of a, uh, the scenario where, where someone hacks your fleet of cars? Someone what? Hacks. Hacked your fleet of, of cars.
2: Well, listen, we, we take it very, very seriously. I mean, we've seen some of the hacks, yeah. right? We saw at the, what is it, the, uh, the Black Hat Convention mm-hmm. and the, the, the folks that...
4: Uh, there's,
1: the, there's the version where they, they hack the car and it runs off the road, but there's just some, someone where basically you're going to have a fleet of cars that are connected mm-hmm. to your headquarters. Yeah. Well,
2: obviously we're thinking through this very, very clearly. We want to make sure that we have the policies and the protocols in place to make sure that the chance of that is is
1: is not not, seems like it's it's inevitable though
2: well but you know at the same time you have to make sure that as you look at the electrical architecture of a vehicle you want to make sure that there's what we call mission critical uh, parts of the vehicle you know the braking the steering all those kind of things you want to make sure that you look at your infotainment system and uh, other elements of the vehicle that don't have access to that there's clear firewalls around that and as we see incidents in the industry, we always go, and, and this comes to, uh, again, who we are as a company, always trying to learn. We've looked at some of those instances. We've done the engineering analysis to understand what exactly happened, and do we have the same vulnerability, and we learn from it. One last.
4: So you've talked a lot about innovation, but you've been actively lobbying uh, To block Tesla from selling directly and other companies as well, and have innovation in the distribution channel, how does that drive?
2: Well, first off, when you look at uh, that, that's being uh, you look at the state franchise laws. There are there are there are laws in in states around the uh, around the country that we have to abide by. That says if you want to sell a vehicle you have to do it through one of our dealers. Yeah, but you didn't spend you didn't
4: spend any money lobbying
2: to really uh, to actually get rid of these laws. When you have you dealt with the, some of the state franchise laws and try to go up against those?
4: No, but uh, Well,
2: let me okay, I really appreciate the question, but let me let me tell you how it, how it works in real life. You have dealers, mm-hmm. okay, who have invested large sums of money in their facilities, and many of them do a very good job, but at the same time, they work with their state legislatures to protect that distribution channel. We, as an incumbent uh, automaker, have to respect that.
4: Yeah, but uh, Tesla doesn't have dealers. Okay, so what's your question? The question is, would you, uh, would you be okay if Tesla sells directly in Ohio and all these other states that you actually lobbied to block them from selling? No, directly? we wouldn't, because we have to abide by a set of state laws we think every competitor ought to.
2: Why? Why? Because we're competing. <laughs> no, I understand,
4: but what's the advantage of these franchise laws except for prote- protecting uh, the incumbent?
0: It's similar to some of the Uber, Lyft fights with cities and things like that, with the incumbents fighting. He's saying, why not just throw in with the Teslas of the world?
2: Well, because you know, when you, if, if you want people to actually flaunt state franchise laws, we're basically saying it's a, it's a level playing field. We have to abide by that? Fine. We will compete on a level playing field.
4: Yeah, and if you get rid of these laws, you can have your own Ford shops. Okay, well,
2: again, coming back to the real world on, on, on getting rid of those laws, that's a, that's a, that's a big to-do.
4: Well, it works in California. All right, we, should, we should settle this outside <laughs> Can, the can hall? I ask you
0: one final question outside? Um, product. Yeah. What would you like a car to look like in tw- 25 years? Just very quickly.
2: Well, when you look at product you know, 25 years from now, clearly it's going to have a lot of advanced driver assist features. Uh, There'll be a number of products which will be full autonomous vehicles. When you look at the interiors of the vehicles, uh, they will change dramatically, particularly as the vehicles become fully autonomous. You know, how we design a vehicle today is uh, almost, I I heard this term the other day for the first time, atomistic, right? You have the headlight button engineer who's designing his part. You have, you know, the HVAC or the, the air conditioning person doing their knobs and they bring it all together and they create an experience. Well, we're turning that around as we think about, as we design our vehicles, both interior and exterior, of creating experiences first, having our engineers and marketers think about experiences first, and then what is the technology and hardware and software that delivers that? So you will see in the interior vehicles, since people won't be driving, you know, how do they want to experience that? You know, what kind of content do we want to bring into the vehicle? They, What's the seating configuration?
0: Right. They probably want to text and have a drink. Would
2: be well, they want to do, they, yeah, they, in many cases, they won't be driving. Right. So is, we're thinking through all those things.
0: So a living room car.
2: In some cases, you could have that. All right. Sounds good.
0: Mark Fields, thank you. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Recode Replay. Remember to leave us a review at iTunes.com slash Recode Replay, and be sure to check out our other podcasts. Every Monday, I host Recode Decode, a podcast about tech and media's key players, big ideas, and how they're changing the world we live in. On Thursdays, you can hear Recode Media, where Peter Kafka interviews the smartest and most interesting people in the media world. And on Friday, I host Too Embarrassed to Ask, along with Lauren Good of The Verge. You can find all these shows and more at recode.net or wherever you listen to podcasts.